Hello and welcome back to Industry Town. I am really, really excited about today's episode. The guest is a friend of mine who I haven't had the chance to talk with for a couple of years now. Good Lord, does time move fast. And in that time, she turned into a damn movie star. Today's guest is the wildly talented and totally wonderful Samara Weaving. You know Sam from movies like Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, and one of my favorites from last year, the awesome horror comedy Ready or Not. She's starring in the upcoming new Ryan Murphy Netflix series Hollywood, premiering on May 1st. And who knows, maybe someday when this pandemic is all over, we'll be able to catch her in Bill and Ted Face the Music and the G.I. Joe spinoff Snake Eyes. We chatted about how Samara found her way to the entertainment business after growing up all over the world, what it's like finding a certain level of success in her teens when she was on a popular soap opera in Australia, and then we really deep dive into Ready or Not. I'm serious, I love this movie. You can rent it right now on Amazon and Apple, and if you haven't yet, I totally recommend you check it out uh, before getting to that part of the episode. This is my favorite. I love, love, love getting to talk process and craft and all that nerdy stuff with smart, humble, awesome actors, and Sam did not disappoint. We talk all about that film, how she approached her performance, uh, choices that she made, how she structured it, and all that fun specific stuff like what it was like dealing with that bloody wedding dress for a month-long shoot. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. I hope you do too. And now, here's Sam. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Oh, shit, you went on mute. You're gone. You there? Oh, am I back now? There she is. There she is. Hey, oh. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I wish I was seeing you in person. I know. That would be really fun. It's been it's been a goddamn long time. I was trying to think of the last time I saw your face. Oof. I want to say that it's like a full presidential term ago, which is somehow very shocking and weird. It doesn't yeah. feel that long. I don't know about you. Does it, fe- does it feel like it's been years, plural? I guess one of the perks of social media is that you do, I do see your face more often than I would without social media. That is the perk of social media is people can see my face more often. But is that than- maybe a bad thing that you sort of have this idea that you're in contact with people and then you realize that it's been a whole presidential term it has uh it's weird i feel like it's kind of killed the market on high school reunions i feel like they're they're done no one needs those anymore no i feel like there's a number of either coffee shops or bars where people would normally catch up and be like hey let's hang out let's have a salad and see how we're doing and uh those people they're shit out of luck well, now they are. Well, they're particularly shit out of luck right now. <laughs> How's your quarantine going? Do you know what? I think I'm, I mean, one, I have the privilege and I'm very aware of the privilege that I have that I'm not too stressed about, you know, um, finances and what's going to happen next and like, real horrific problems that a lot of people are facing. So I'm very aware at how lucky I am in that sense. And then I feel I'm an introvert or I'm an extroverted introvert. 
Okay. So I'm just leaning right into my introvert side. So my happy place after being, you know, on set or going to a party is having a day off where I just like watch TV and do puzzles and do introvert inside things. So I'm not finding it too difficult, although there is like a weird guilt of finding of enjoying that when it's a pandemic and people are dying and it's very very real yeah and affecting a lot of people and i feel like i shouldn't be enjoying myself like so your like party line is boo pandemic yay puzzles yes in a nutshell yes yeah, I mean, I th- I think you're right. I think it's good that you say it. I think it's good to to like call it out because it is awful. It's terrifying. People people are literally Terrible. dying in huge numbers and there's like there's no leadership and people are terrified and that's all true. But also you have a right to like a puzzle and you know, people like binging on Netflix and having a chance well, to Well, you stay do, home. you feel so helpless because you the only the, the best thing you can do, like if this was a war, you could sign up and go and fight. Mm-hmm. But the best thing you can do in this situation is stay home and wear gloves and clean your shoes and don't go outside. So it's a good thing that I'm staying home, but I'm feeling helpless and guilty at the same time. It's a lot of emotions, Brian. It's a lot. <laughs> if you want to open up you can really just like share them all right now i i like what you were saying though you know if it's a war you could sign up for it you know there's all these movies where there's some kind of i don't know something kind of romantic and like moving about like you know what honey i'm gonna i'm gonna leave home and i'm leaving the kids and i'm gonna go fight for something so big and for our future and this one's like honey i'm gonna wear gloves when i go to the store i'm gonna not cough on anybody this is wow, my. You're a hero. You this are is my contribution, a hero, honey. That's the that's the that's the move, right? I, I feel like that's, you. Yeah. That's the conversation I have with my wife. It's like, well, I'm going out. I'll see you again, though. I will be very careful. It's also it's also very interesting to look at, especially um, people our age. And I assume, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I don't have any, um, you know, underlying health problems. But I realized the other day, I am a walking weapon. Like, I'm the weapon. Like, yeah. in the war, I'm the weapon. Yeah. So, when I leave the house, I'm the, the, the bombs. I'm the bullets that are, could if potentially... If it's outbreak, we're all the one. monkey. If it's contagion, we're all killing Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I don't want that blood on my hands. It is. I don't want blood on my hands. I don't want blood on my hands. I don't want other people's cough on my hands. Really, I want my hands very clean right now. Are your hands dry as shit? Because like mine are are like turning into gnarled claws. I feel like I'm like washing them. (laughs) Yeah, my hands are like flaky. Yeah. Oh god. (laughs) No, mine are flaky like a salmon. Done well. That's disgusting. Um, either one it's both pretty gross no my wife grabbed my hand the other day and she was like do you have dermatitis and I was like probably but Brian you know there is such a thing as, as a hand moisturizer Tell, go on 
Um, there's a lot of different brands you can choose from. You could probably order them online. You could use your gloves and sanitize it to pick up the package. And then once inside and once uh, wiped down with some antibacterials, you could open it, open the tube, rub a little on your hands. Really? You know, I feel problem. like if this quarantine doesn't end, there's a career for you in little how-to videos. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I don't know what else I can do besides... I mean, it's now you're in service, though. Now you're no longer the weapon. Now you're going to go around. You're going to explain to people how fucking hand moisturizer works. And you know That's what? Correct. My gnarled croissant salmon hands appreciate it. Not hand sanitizer, hand moisturizer. Don't get them confused. One no. does. One makes you a croissant. One makes you a sponge cake. Sponge cake? I was going to like. I don't know. No, What's a nice no? word for hand? What's a nice word for? For moisturized hands. Just like soft mitts. I don't know. Something something in there? I, th I think it's going to work. So, we'll think of something. Do you mind if I just, if we just like jump into all of this fun stuff and just kind of like just yes. go, go, go? You don't mind? Well, then yes. I'm going to give you this one. I'm just going to give you like an official welcome to Industry Town. That's the name of the podcast. Okay. So welcome. Industry Smart Town. Weaver. Okay. It's because this is a one industry town and basically everybody in it has something to do with it and some story to share and some talent that they have. And, uh, you know, hopefully we find it and chat about it and learn about it and we all become closer and no more. And that's the goal. Um, never speak again. And that's it. That's then we'll talk in five years and it'll be great. Um, <laughs> No, but seriously, so your quarantine, you're, you're figuring out ways to, I don't know, stay happy and stay, you know, somewhat sane during this time. Uh, are you doing like thousand piece puzzles or are you like, what are these, what are the puzzles? Well, the first part of your question is very interesting. So when I was living in London and I hadn't worked in two years, um, and I was getting very depressed. Um, my drama coach, who I'm sure you are familiar with, Miss mm -hmm. Lee Kilton Smith. Shout out. Um, Hello, Miss Lee. Shout out. Lovely. Um, she said, Well, Sam, if you're a creative person and you're not being creative, you're depriving yourself of what makes you happy and what makes you joyful. So, in times like this, I have to try and find other ways to be creative because you can't exactly do a one-woman show to nobody. I mean, you could. You could. I don't blame you for not doing that, though. But the... the yeah, so it's sort of like trying to find other creative outlets like painting or writing or, I don't know, doing weird improv sessions with my fiance and you know um finding creative outlets elsewhere other than acting because i think and also looking at auditions and self tapes at that time i thought of them as you know oh i put so much pressure on myself to 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 get the end goal to get the job that i didn't enjoy the process and lee said to me you're a professional auditioner and then if you get a promotion, great. And that completely changed my attitude towards it. So I would go in and I would really enjoy the audition because I got to do what I love for five minutes. And I could play and I could do that. 
And then if they call me and say, you've got the job, then, oh, great. Okay, I've got a promotion, you know? I love that way of looking at it. Do you feel like that was purely a mindset or did it actually affect the work that you were doing? Like, did you take more risks? Were you more playful? Were you more authentically or vulnerably yourself? Or was it just a mindset of, this is my job I and I can it have fun? Did it. Have that, it, yeah, it definitely had that domino effect where because I had changed my perspective on the audition process, the pressure and anxiety went way down. And so all those freedoms that you have when you book the job came to light. So I could take risks and I could play with characters and make bold choices and try different things and then just leave the room and accept that I had no control over what was to happen next, which I think is another mindset that's really coming in handy now. Yep. That we just can accept that it's out of our hands. We don't know what's going to happen. It's exactly like having an audition and then waiting for the call, either a yes or a no, and we don't have that phone call yet. Yeah. Some people say that they hate that about auditioning, that they don't have control. I'm thrilled I don't. Like, I don't want control over a lot of things that are that big. I don't want to control over... over every single piece of a film production. I don't want to control whether the quarantine's going to end or not. I want to do my piece. I want to worry about my acre and I want to take care of the things there. And then I'll let yeah. other people do their part and we can all collaborate and uh, hopefully find some nice medium there. I think I find that a lot of actors who are just starting out, the lack of control on the other end of the the side of the business that they that they don't have control of the producers and the casting directors really makes them feel uncomfortable because they're not in control. And I think for me, yeah, it never really was an issue. I don't know if that stems from growing up and moving around a lot and never knowing I wasn't in control of where we were going to live next and what new job my parents had or, you know, whatever a psychologist would call it but yeah I never had a problem with accepting that I had no power in that situation but I did have power in that room in that five minutes I had all the power did you feel does it feel powerful now does it feel like oh I can feel the the time is mine the floor the platform's mine I can feel the attention come here and now I get to do my thing can you is it tangible? I mean, there's always there's always nerves. There's always nerves. Ugh. There's always there's always anxiety. But I do. Um, I can't remember where I learned this, but I think the same the same reaction you get when you're nervous or anxious is the same as excitement. So when you're a little kid and you're going on a roller coaster ride. You can be really excited, but like your heart's racing, you're sweating, you're you shaking. Maybe you can't, you're not as eloquent because you're so excited and you're jumping up and down and you can't, you don't know where to look. That's the same symptoms as being nervous and anxious. So what I try and talk myself into before um, an audition is that, oh, okay, I'm not nervous. I'm just very, very excited. Yeah, this is just the best. It's very part. hard to do. 
Um, but do you ever hear part of your? Do you hear the rest of your body like in your brain? Does it fall in line, or does it sometimes like call you out? And it's like, no, I'm fucking terrified right now. Excuse me. <laughs> like, oh, of course, there's the constant conversation. I'm just trying to quiet it and then turn it off, and then as soon as they say rolling, just jump off and then I black out and then at the end I'm like okay I think I did something and uh hope I was good okay see you later yeah that was a fun blackout for me I hope everyone else enjoyed it um right exactly so you brought up let's just go back to the beginning a little bit because I don't even know your full story a little bit no you're doing we're we're fine we're we're doing great I I'm I'm thrilled with it so far so you know we can all feel (laughs) approval so far which is so wildly important. Um, so like, tell me what your parents were moving around a lot. What was, what was childhood like? Where was it? What were your parents doing? Um, so my mother and father, they both are in um, the arts. My dad started, um, he was in film school um, as, uh, uh, for directing and my mom um she got into art curation and art management um for museums and so um they were both on that track (laughs) and then um a year after they got married mom said um, but I think I might be pregnant. Uh, and <laughs> um, I was like in the belly saying, <laughs> what are you going to do now? Um, so dad switched gears because um, you don't make a lot of money being a um, beginning career director. And, you know, um, so the story, the sort of family law is that he um he's a very intelligent man he's very very clever and he basically i think he bought a book of that just said like business for dummies and he read it and then decided to be a business consultant and if he was going to do this boring job i mean boring in depending on if you love consulting then great but i don't I feel like there's a whole bunch of really consultants out there who are so out on you right now they're like i'm gonna get a lot of hate mail from consultants consultants are great and if you love your job i'm so happy for you but it wasn't really my dad's dream i don't think but he was very good at it and um he thought well if i'm gonna do that um i want to do it in very exotic places so um he would go and help businesses we moved to Fiji, Singapore, Indonesia. Um, And then we had a quick stint in Italy. And then I think he had saved enough money for me and my sister to finish high school in Australia. And and then that's when we moved back to Oz where I finished high school and started working at the same time (laughs) so was that in sydney no we went from florence italy to canberra australia and canberra is the capital of australia not many people know that well i'm getting my jeopardy information right now canberra is the capital of australia and i did not like it um, so we're, as a consultants teenager, are pissed off and the people from Canberra are pissed off right now. Okay. 
yeah, I'm um, Canberra right now. Apparently, it's really cool. But okay. when I was there, and as a teenager, it, you know, it's a sort of there's it, a lot of embassies and schools and national parks, and there was like one mall. And that not a lot to do. It. Not a lot to do. Not a lot to do for like a teenager who wants to like be reckless and like try on different personalities and like, <laughs> you know, be yeah, cool. Figure her shit out and play. Yeah. People, you know, um, but I was very fortunate enough to go to a school that had an amazing um, performing arts program. They had an actual amphitheater. They had two actually. They had a theater and then an amphitheater. And uh, the arts building was a three-story building that had like text, arts, and like sculpture. It was the most incredible school. Oh, it says my connection is unstable. Can I? Can you still hear me? I can see you and hear you. We had one little like brief glitch, but we're good so far. Brief glitch. Um. So yeah, I was really fortunate enough to go to a school where um. I was able to do what I love with a lot of um, a lot of the, what am I trying to say? Like resources and, you know. Resources, yeah. All the resources were there. If I had an idea, it could be done, which is a very privileged, you know. I mean, that's an awesome thing. school girl life. It was literally like Chris Lilly's parody. <laughs> that's the school I went to, but I was the drama i was our drama captain so it was a bit of a little bit of a geeky child i will um, not have you besmirch captain of the drama team i feel like that is that's has a lot to do with my pride blood in my veins so yeah (laughs) uh so how does somebody who's how do you start working like how does how do you go from being in drama school lots of people get a chance to perform in high school how do you start work i mean i know the story way better in in the states of how how one might like start a career so how do you right. how do you do that um i think a lot of it has to do with like that that teenage attitude where you think you know everything and if you're determined enough, you're just not afraid. And then as you get older, I think you get more and more afraid, or at least that was for me. I don't know, like, I don't know that person who was like, um, dad, whatever this I'm seeing on the screen and I've been in love with since I was first saw a movie, I need to be that. And I need to go get it. Help me. And um, we found an agency in Sydney and they signed me up and I auditioned for a show. And um, the agency was so small that they were more excited than I was when I got the role. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that was called, it's a show called Out of the Blue. And that, I was still at school, so I would go back and forth from Sydney to Canberra, which was (laughs) um, not a, my parents had a lot of faith in me because I went to school in Sydney for six months whilst filming this show and I was 16, but I could call the school 
and say I was working that day when I wasn't and just. Just fuck off. Um, yeah. Just go do whatever I wanted. Um, and I was, you know, staying with a family friend of mine who had no children of his own. So I don't think he really knew what the rules or how to sort of discipline me. Um, but after six months, that show got cancelled. And uh, then I went and finished high school, which is a good thing to do. And then... Um, wait, hold on one second, oh, wait though. Wait a minute. I want to know what the role was. What is the first role? What is the teenager? The first role? Yeah. Who, like, who's the, do you remember the full name? Like, I want to, I want to give me the breakdown for <laughs> this part. I think her name was, um, Kirsten. Mo, Mo, what was my last name? Mulroney? Kirsten Mulroney. I, I buy it. So. I think so. And she was a bratty teenager who, it was weird. It was like art imitating life. Um, who didn't want to move and didn't want to live with her dad. And she and her brother moved to this new town. Um, and there was some kind of, was it a murder mystery? I wasn't. Uh, yeah. So I played like the bratty teenager who was like, who's dad dating now? Like, like would go and, you know, kiss a boy. And that was so like risky and naughty. You and rebel. Whatever. And my actual first kiss was on that show. And it was very, 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 very daunting. And I was terrified. Wow. How did it work out? Um, not well. He was quite a lot older than me. Ooh. And I think I, it was my first kiss. I mean, there was a lot of teeth. Um, it's not, no one, I don't think anyone on their list of, in, you know, what they enjoy with kissing, no one says teeth. No one, no one even, no one no leaves one with teeth, teeth. Not even like but a But I didn't know. Thing. I didn't know what to do. And I met him that morning in the trailer and, and then it was, okay, now kiss. And I didn't know what a screen kiss was. I didn't know what the rules were. No one had told me. No one was me helping you. What, you know, I just kissed posters in my bedroom before that. So I don't. <laughs> what i don't know what else to do less teeth on the posters oh. less teeth yeah yeah there was <laughs> no i mean people i feel like people are often jealous of people who get to start early um you know the, the chance to build their resume the chance to work like that but there is a flip side to it which is you do have certain experiences like that certain like fundamental first times and 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 learning yourself you're sometimes doing it on camera with strangers rather than you know in the safety of anonymity in the safety of a large high school where no one's paying any attention right and i was always shy and embarrassed except for when the camera was rolling i think that's a whole other weird psychological thing we can go into at another time but um i you know i would i didn't tell anyone that i felt that i'd never kissed someone before like I, there, there was you know i was you know asked you know are you comfortable they did all the right things and i was just like yeah yeah no problem are you kidding it's fine but inside i was like oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. um yeah, and then never saw him again. I don't even remember his name. So oh, wow. that was my first kiss. Super romantic. I do get, I think, yeah, there are pros to um, learning the 
the craft, if I'm going to be pretentious, you know, working from a young age, but I do get very envious of, of people who went to drama school because they seem to have these amazing tools. And I think the most, because I'm, I'm, I'm still learning on the job and I, and I have Lee Kilton Smith, who's fantastic. And she's, when I started working with her, that's when I started booking roles, but I I'm constantly curious and learning on the job. And the most I've learned is from people who went to Juilliard or RADA or NIDA. And I, I can see that they have like, it's like they have a, a toolbox but then it's sort of like a math equation covered with an invisible freedom where they can just with ease go through all these equations at once and I'm just watching like how are you doing this like I have to sort of make I'm making it up as I'm going along going along and I have total um uh, imposter syndrome and still to this day you know so there are pros and cons and I'm very fortunate and grateful at how my career is going and how I got there. But there is a part of me that wishes I could go back in time and do that two year after school, you know, go to a professional drama school and learn the sort of. So when you say that, are you talking about things that are like, you know, classic kind of like method Stanislavski stuff? Are you talking about how to break down material or are you talking more like technical film tricks? Like where, where does this kind of lie? I mean, I've, I've I've read, I've done, you know, like I know Stanislavski and um, Meisner and I've done sort of workshops on that, but I think there's something about a group of people learning every single day, going in every single day like school where you're doing your, is it 100,000 hours, 10,000 hours, 100,000 hours? 10,000 hours is the Malcolm Gladwell, yeah. <laughs> um, 100,000 hours would be so long. Oh, my God. It's a long time. It feels like 100,000 hours. And, I, yeah. I'm, you know, granted, I, I probably have done that from working, but really focusing on the skills and doing that for two years every day just sounds like a lot of fun that I missed out on and that I've just seen it. I've just seen the difference between actors who, or maybe I haven't, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking things. Well, it did. I mean, it does sound like if you're in school, the idea is to be in progress. And if you're on the job, the idea is to do the job well. And there's, right. there's people who you, you have people you answer to. Um, I guess you, right. you answer to in school too, but the stakes are a lot lower. Um, and it's a lot more your personal investment. And I feel like, yeah, if you're starting at 16 years old and your, your learning curve feels somehow related to your ability to book another job, that, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure for sure. Well, it was weird because it was my first audition and I got it. So I was like, oh, this is easy. Great. And then the character was so I was just playing myself, just like Bradia, you know. Um, and 
and then after that I did like I think I did six weeks on home and away and again like I got the bus from Canberra to Sydney auditioned and then got the job and that was my second audition and I got it so I was like oh so this is okay great got so it gonna, and I, I'm just gonna book all of them now <laughs> oh yeah this is fantastic um and then on home and away I mean and that for goodness. anyone who's listening that's like a really long-running classic Australian soap right yeah, I think when I got the first script, it was like script 4,398. And I think I did a total of, I can look it up, but it's like 300 episodes or something like that. Like wow. you just, they work you to the bone. But Episode a day? A point, yeah. Yeah. Five days a week. Yep. And you're doing two blocks so a blo- one block is five episodes so you're doing two blocks per week so and we would do about 10 scenes a day jesus but i, I but mean they had it down they had it down it's a yeah, they opera, a so they just had the cameras the setup go done you know one or two takes you're out of there so, I mean, that's quite a good place to get a learning curve too. It's not the it's not the safety of school, but there is a like this is how we make television. Welcome to it. Yes and no. I think technically, um, I learned a lot by being there, and I think I learned what not to do while being there, because with that show, it was just out of high school. Um, suddenly I was slightly famous, you know, in Australia and England, um, and we're going to these fancy events and there were, you know, I was, you know, a, like glasses wearing, buck teeth, you know, drama nerd. And then suddenly I was this soap opera actor and being stopped on the streets and it sort of was very strange um but I think I lost sight of what I loved about the craft that makes Um, sense and I think it was there was like some tabloid that was like Samara Weaving seen with like 10 men in one day and and they had just taken photos from like (laughs) me hanging out with friends and I remember calling my mom, being like, "Mom, they're calling me a slut on TV." And she was like, "Um, Sam, you're not famous. You're like they, they gave me a talking to that was like, this is not who you are. Humble, like, sit down and be humble, like Kendrick Lamar yourself right now, <laughs> please." I hope that's exactly um, what your parents told you. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that's when the sort of humility hit me and that's also when I realized I had no idea what I was doing acting wise on the show and I really was struggling to figure I'd I'd never done sort of a breakdown of the scene at school we just sort of would mess around with like Shakespeare and we'd do it and I it always came sort of instinctually so having to this sudden shift of oh, no, I don't know. I don't have any tools other than my, like, gut instincts that, um, and that just ended up in me just overacting 
every single scene. Which for soap opera can work, but there are some actors on that show that when I started really watching I, and they were taking it very seriously, whereas I was just partying every other day and then rocking up to work and like reading the script the day before being like, yeah, we got this case. Okay, someone's died and I'm sad. And then um, I, there's a fire. Okay, great. Got it. You know, <laughs> a lot for a um, day. Yeah. I mean, that's soap opera. That's there you go. Day. Yeah. A lot. Don't, don't move there. A lot, a lot of stuff happens, but that was really, um, a humbling experience after that, because after that I didn't work for two years. So you said that you hadn't, you had a lot to learn. Do you feel like you can articulate some things that you have like clearly learned, but from then to now, either about working on camera or about how you break down a script? Like, are there a few tools? You're like, I have these now. Um, breaking down a script, um, I can do, and I love doing it. It's my favorite thing to do. Um, you know, following the arc of the character and um, breaking down a scene in terms of, okay, I really love scenes where it starts with um, one emotion and it ends with the opposite emotion, even if that's a very subtle difference. And then, um, just really like learning to be present and learning to react, not act like really simple things because I had just gone from high school straight to soap opera. I really had these two years where I was just trying to study the craft and reading everything I could about acting and screenwriting and everything to do with it. I want to call out a couple resources and charities that are really helping out and making a difference. First, I want to shout out Jenna Doolittle at Actors Rise for putting together a really incredible daily newsletter for actors with info on everything you could need. Uh, free business opportunities and workshops and casting calls, free classes, workshops, workouts, dance classes. There's also a ton of financial resources like videos on how to fill out your unemployment and a ton more. It's free to sign up and there's a link in the show notes if you're interested. Also, if you are able to donate right now and want to help, please check out Feed the Frontline Los Angeles, put on by the World Health Kitchen. You just go to wck.org to donate. They feed hospital workers in ICU and ER units throughout the Los Angeles area. Area, and they are delivering thousands of meals daily to those on the front lines of the crisis. If you're listening and you're not in LA, check out WCK.org anyway. I believe they have something for your city too. But someone pointed out to me that the word amateur comes from the Latin word ammo, which is to love. And the idea is that no one would start something if they didn't love it. And it's yeah. that love, like we, people hear the word amateur and they think, fuck you. Like, how yeah. dare you call me that? And it's like, no, it means that you were willing to show up because you love something. And what love a beautiful it. thing. What That's a, beautiful. I mean, it's a little, it can be vulnerable. So I get where the pushback can come from, but like, it's gorgeous. It's great. That's and delightful. Like, like, that's why you should start something. Yeah, I think, I was actually watching a, like Tom Segura's stand-up special. The new one? And yeah. He was to- yeah, and he it's was really talking fun. about following your dreams. Yes. And he was like, that's follow a- it. That was the earnest moment that he has. Like, I'm not fucking around. Do it, right? Do it. Follow your dreams. It might not lead you to where, like, it's different from having goals, I think. If you have, like, a goal, like, I'm going to be this, this, um, I'm going to get this job, 
Mm-hmm. That's different from following your dream. I think if you follow your dream, it might take you in this roundabout weird place and you might not end up with that idealistic goal, but you'll still be following your dream. You'll still be doing it. And I think that's, yeah, what he was saying. It was so great. I loved that. Yeah, check out the Tom um, Segura Netflix special. It's good. It was very, very good. Very, very funny. By the time we finish um, this interview, they're going to be sponsoring the podcast. Tom Segura is going to be doing like a like a whole little insert for this damn thing. That's we're, I'm, I'm manifesting. I'm manifesting. If Tom Segura knows who I am, I will be so stoked. I feel like it's doable to figure that out. I feel like somehow, yeah. some way, make some calls. <laughs> um. So. A couple things I want to I want to hit real quick. One that I think is so interesting is I've talked to a lot of people about you know how did they start, and I feel like you have a magical cocktail of a couple like things that happen to help people a lot, and it's really neat to see how they all kind of come together because you have parents who who were in the arts, which means you're growing up creative, you're growing up seeing that that is a thing people do, not just as a hobby or for fun, but for keeps, and like that some people have never seen in their entire lives. But at the same time, your dad is doing entrepreneurial business, which means mm-hmm. you're actually seeing someone learning new skills and saying, I have to be a business person. I have to learn what that means. I have to learn how to start. I have to learn what a business actually is. And so you're actually getting, I've noticed people often either have the creative parents and so they really come, you know, they're super crunchy from that and they're, they're really tapped into it. Or you have the entrepreneurial people who are like, I know how to start something and then they have to get the creative. But it seems like you got both of those things mixed together. And then the third thing that I hear a lot is that the beautiful delusions of grandeur that happen as a teenager where you're like, why the fuck not? I, I would never occur to me that this wouldn't work. And those three ingredients, usually just one of them might be the catalyst for somebody. But I feel like you have all three of those and it sets you up for a lot of really wonderful things that maybe you might not like fully be aware you have them. So you want to supplement it with all that technique and, and that schooling. But those things are like in your DNA. And that makes a right. ton of sense to me of why certain things, maybe your intuition is going to be in the right direction. I feel like that makes a lot of like the formula's there. It makes a lot of sense. Oh, question, thank you. You're welcome. I did want to ask you though, what are some of those movies as a kid where you're like, that, I need that. That is magic to me. One, uh, when we were living in, um, in Italy, there were no, uh, woe is me, woe is me. I was living in Italy. There were no cinemas that like spoke English. Ugh, annoying. <laughs> We had to like go and get gelato instead. Very oh exciting. god, and delicious food and mm. cheese and yeah, okay. Mom, why? Anyway, we wanted um. So we went to my my mum's uh Maltese. So we went on a trip to Malta, and Dad lost his mind because there was a cinema that had um English speaking films playing. Ooh. And we went and saw Pirates of the Caribbean and B-Rai. I tell you, I. It was, it was just, there was no words. I woke, I walked out of that theater in a daze and I couldn't figure out what had shifted. It was, I had been transported into this magical place and I wanted to do anything and everything to be a part of that. I mean, that movie's magic. That movie's incredible. Fabulous movie. I still think Johnny Depp should have won an Oscar for that. 
I mean, that, like, I that mean, performance is incredible and indelible. And I've never seen anything like that in my goddamn life. And I don't know how that movie works without that performance. I loved it. And as a kid, like, it was just, ugh. It just, it blew my brain hole. And I, that was, I think, that and watching A Midsummer Night's Dream, I think, smushed on a couch and a TV. But there's something about being in a theater, watching Pirates of the Caribbean, not having seen a screen that big in six months. And it, it was just a whole, it was, that was a life changing moment for sure. I was like, I need to be. Did you see yourself in that. any part in there in particular? Like, did you see yourself doing something as like wacky as what Johnny Depp was doing? Or did you see yourself being Kira Knightley or like, where did you, did All you have it, a place that I you just, fit? No, I never, I've never really thought about myself being a certain kind of person maybe i'm not self-aware enough or that i from growing up with dad being a you know such a cinephile and knowing everything and we you know he would go to work in his consultant job but downstairs we had a huge den and it was instead of a library with books it was just a library of dvds like two rooms like all the walls were covered with dvds and so I would just watch everything and you would just notice like, oh, actors can be different people. Yeah. They can wear different hats. And um, both literally and metaphorically. Right. And um, I think I was like, yeah, I want to be Johnny Depp. I want to be Keira Knightley. I want to be all of them. I want to be the boat. I want to, <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to do everything. I mean, I think my first role ever, um, like, well, I think I was maybe five or six, I played the Grinch. Um, I was <laughs> a, like, four-foot, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, the least intimidating human <laughs> in the world playing the Grinch. So, um, It's yeah. time they open that up in terms of who can play that part. It's been too you know, many, you know, just yeah. angry green men. I feel like we need to, just some new versions of it. Why not? <laughs> Open the casting up. Yeah, I'll play it. Come on. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, I want to talk about Ready or Not. I love that movie. Okay. I think you just Let's crushed that movie. I think it's such Aww. a fun time. If anybody who's listening to this hasn't seen it, go go rent it. It's on Amazon. It's on <laughs> Apple. Go go see the fuck out of that movie. I thought it was really, really fun. Um. I want to ask you, I, I, want to, I want to hear a lot about that movie. Um, but one place that I wanted to start is we were talking a little bit about like intuition versus technique. And you were saying that you like thinking about an arc. And I remember, so I rewatched it because I do my research. And you get that whole monologue to open that, that movie where you're, you're talking in the mirror and then your fiance comes in. And I'm wondering, do you think it all how do I want to establish this character or open this movie? Or is it, is it just another scene? Do you think structurally about your performance ahead of time? We definitely, and I was very fortunate to have such open and willing directors to take my suggestions. Um, I didn't want this to be, because I, I, I knew Bird's Eye View She's got a long way to go. Yeah. And there were a lot of beats in the script 
that were brilliant and um brian and um oh goodness brian and guy did a wonderful job with this script but there's uh, i think i could see a trap for myself where i could be playing the same beat over and over and over and over again like oh no oh no oh no oh no oh no so the first thing i did was i opt out like okay there needs to be some kind of different way she reacts to each terrible thing that happens so that opening scene i wanted you to get a glimpse that she was capable of what she was going to do later and that was a cigarette in my hand so the and cigarette wasn't written in i can't remember but i wanted a cigarette and i wanted my tattoo to be shown and there's the relationship between um Mark O'Brien's character um where he takes my cigarette and he puts it out yeah and it's such a subtle thing but it's the power shift like he there's something that is a tiny little bit of menace in the fact that he takes it and he doesn't hand it back he puts it out yeah and i loved that i thought that that was and we had you know between the directors and the two of us that we all kind of my mm, i love doing that stuff that juicy delicious workshopping stuff um so we wanted to establish subtly without giving anything away that this woman was capable of what she was about to do I like that answer a lot. I love that you had a very specific answer for that. And that works with the whole movie. I mean, I don't think this is a major spoiler to say it ends with a cigarette. I mean, um, I don't think that's a spoiler, although we might get to spoilers at some point. So if if you finishes the cigarette at the end, she does. does. (laughs) Um, Okay. So you do think some, some stuff like that. Well, let me go back for a second. Uh, Oh, my scripts are built, scribbled, scribbled in, I have a scribbly, scribbly script. I see some actors that don't, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing that you just can just jump off and trust it. I scribble down all my ideas everywhere. I was an intense scribbler for a very long time, and then I read a quote, like an Ian McKellen quote, where he said something like, once you write it down, it's no longer real, or something like that. And I stopped, and I stopped, and I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be organic, and I'm going to do it the way Ian McKellen does it. And then at some point, I thought, like, well, I'm going to fuck off with that because I miss all my ideas, and I, I liked my scribbles. Right. I don't, I don't rely – I mean, yeah, I had a seizure, like, two years ago, so my memory is really terrible. That's why I literally need to, like, write down names of people because I will forget where I've met them from. But anyway, so with – scripts um luckily my short-term memory came back pretty quickly so i could memorize lines thank god i'm Um, glad to hear it yeah uh but yeah i like um what lee kilton smith said which is like you write down your all your ideas all your building blocks you can okay i can play this scene any way i want don't learn the lines with any candence or you know emotions don't leave your emotional fingerprints on the way you learn your lines learn them like a robot which is the most boring and it's the worst part of the job is just going over and over and over and over again 
line, 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 line. Um, so that, but then you've got all your ideas going and then you've built this like pyramid. You've built this stage essentially of ideas and you've got the words in your mind and then you can just jump off that stage and all those ideas are there, but they're there for you to use. And it's as if you've saying, you're saying it for the first time. I love that. If that makes any sense at all. I think that, I mean, that, that image works for me. How do you get through the boring part? How do you, is, do you just lock yourself in a room? Do you and your fiance just like drill it together? Do you have an assistant? Like, is there some method to the, the, I, no one talks about learning lines. And when I was no a kid. No one talks about like, it's so, I was telling my friend the other day, I was like, isn't it interesting? Like talking about like the craft of acting, it's so taboo and scene is so pretentious like even amongst actors if like another actor is like oh well I approach this scene this way everyone sort of starts rolling their eyes and you're like oh god pretentious actor so this is really fun to be able to talk about it in a real way and I very hope I hope that I'm not sounding pretentious I don't think you do I I, one of my the, the place where I nerd out is where all of that craft stuff meets practicality like we can talk about it all day in really highfalutin terms. And that's fun. Like there's art in that. And there's something very interesting in it. But also that can be people kind of jerking themselves off about how they feel about it. Like how do you take that idea and manifest it? How do you take the idea that there's something off in this marriage and share it in something visual on screen that's not indicating that's, that's technique. And that's what makes that moment pop. And like, to me, that's the job. Like, that's really right. interesting. That's exciting shit. And sometimes it's in the script and sometimes it's not. Like, I remember when I read um, Free Billboards, mm-hmm. there's a great instance that just sums up Frances McDonough's character where there's a beetle upside down on a window ledge and she flips it over and helps it. It's beautiful. And you just know that, oh, she's a caring person, even if she's not acting like it. There's just in that one tiny little moment, it encompasses that she's a loving person because she's helping something that is helpless and she has the power to do so. She doesn't swat it away. She doesn't crush it. She turns it over and lets it walk away. It's little things like that that I love, yeah. It's the, uh, it'll be the acting book. There's Save the Cat for writers and it can be Flip the Beetle for, uh, for actors. <laughs> um, no, but do you- I also think that, Oh, go ahead. Whatever gets you there, man. Like, I know a lot of people are like, no, 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 this method is the method and there is no other method and you have to, like, sit in a dark room and cry about all your traumas and, like, stay there until you're empty inside and broken and then we'll build you back up. It's like, (laughs) okay, great, you can do that if that works for you. But if you can fake it and it works, great too. Like, anything, I'm open to, I think each actor is different. And whatever approach they have, fantastic. As long as they can be a good partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as it doesn't make you like really another. selfish, then I think you're yeah. like... Selfish actors, that's a, that's a different story. That's, that's tough to work with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, fuck off to all the selfish uh, actors. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> are listening right now. Who I'm sure don't know that they're being selfish sometimes. You know, they're probably just insecure and that's their own thing. Well, now we're going to have insecure and selfish actors mad at you as well. It's just we're coming up with a very long list today. Um, <laughs> I'm insecure too. We all, yeah. we all are. We're actors. Are you kidding me? 
Um, but do you have any tricks on learning lines or getting through the kind of more mundane bullshitty part? Well, not bullshit. That's the wrong word. Mundane, difficult. It is it's, mundane. It's not sexy to talk about, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I have an app called, uh, uh, I think it's Line Learner or I think, yeah, I think it's literally called Line Learner. And I just record like blah, 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 blah into my phone and then I put headphones on or my speaker on and I'll just pace back and forth in my bedroom until I've got it down. And then once I think I've got them down, um, I'll just play them literally going to the store, doing the dishes, folding laundry, whatever, whatever my daily thing is. And it's so boring and it's so dull, but, it, works. it sounds like if you're doing all that stuff from the pacing to the errands, like you're putting in hours, like legit hours. There's also, yeah, hours. And there's also something in doing um, um, an activity whilst you're learning them because then, because even though auditions, and this is one of the peeves I have about auditions is that sometimes because the camera can't move or sometimes the camera, the, it's great. And the, they're like, we'll follow you. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, and some, but sometimes if it's a self tape and you, you've only got, you know, from what, how, like 60 centimeters to work with, um, you kind of have to be a little stagnant, but if you can be moving while you're learning your lines, then you kind of get used to that. Cause most scenes you're, doing something that's they're the most interesting scenes to me mm-hmm. um especially if you're having an argument you know and you're pacing and you're doing something and so yeah i like learning my lines while i'm doing something so that i'm not too focused on what i have to say and that that eventually comes out authentically am i making any sense at i all? think you are no you're making a lot of sense and what that does what that what that hits for me is that it's really it's a lot easier to think off of your line. I feel like a lot of actors are like when I work with actors who are struggling, a lot of times it's the meaning of the line that's giving them trouble. Like they're just saying what the line fucking means and they don't have an internal life underneath it. And if you are learning your lines while there is something else going on, whether it's an activity or an errand or some kind of stimulus, you are able to do two things at the same time, which is you can be distracted and and saying a very important line. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I feel like that actually makes a ton of sense to me. And so you're saying you record your lines. Do you ever record the other person's and like practice? Oh, I record, I record the whole both. damn thing. The whole damn thing. I won't learn the other person's lines, but I think just by listening to it over and over and over again, I think kind of seeps through, especially if I have to cut someone off or, you know, if, um, if we're talking at the same time, then yeah. Then, but yeah, I'll like I'll listen to the other person talking because it's my voice, and then suddenly it's coming out of someone else's mouth, and they're actually putting emotion into it. It's very different. I'm like, oh, hey, hey I'm okay, okay. I'm yeah. Supposed, oh, hey, you know. that's coming. Good, good. <laughs> well, so tell me, how did um, how did auditioning for Ready or Not go? Like, how how was that process? Um, I actually said no to the film. Interesting. Twice twice yes um i had done a couple horror comedies and i was trying to lean away from that um yeah, a lot of devil worship on your imdb of, yeah yeah um a lot of blood 
lot of I'm always covered in blood. Um, it's a brand, you know. It's something for people to know you by. <laughs> um, I also wasn't. This is embarrassing to say, but I also wasn't a diehard fan of that genre. So it was never kind of linking back to like following your dreams. It was never the path I thought I would have is through horror films and horror comedies or thrillers. I didn't think that was the way it was going to go. Um, so yeah, I, I got sent the script and um, I think they had watched um, another, whether it was Mayhem or maybe it was Ash vs. Evil Dead or one of the plethora of horror comedies I had done. Good um, vocab. Love plethora. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was an offer, which was very exciting. Um, but I was getting a lot of offers in the sim- similar genre and I was naive that I didn't see that it was a big studio film which my agents had to explain to me, this is not an indie film. This is a studio film that will actually be in theaters and people will actually see it. Like that's a guarantee. Um, but I had just come off of a job that I was, I was pretty depressed about. And so I was at a low point personally as well. So it was kind of a whole melee of crap that yeah. had happened. Um, and my boyfriend, now fiance. Congratulations. Reddit, thank by you. By the way. Yeah. Thank you. It's exciting stuff. We got to hold on yeah. to the exciting stuff, especially during quarantine times. People are still uh, getting married, having babies, you know, achieving dreams, living lives. It's happening. <laughs> um, so I said, look, I think I really like this script. I don't know if I want to do it. Can you read it? I'm so overwhelmed with personal stuff and work stuff I just need your help and we were in different states at the time I was working on this other thing and he read it and he read one scene where my character punches a little boy in the face and he rung me and said you have to do this movie because you punch a little boy in the face and that is the most hysterical thing I've ever read in my life and he's a writer (laughs) and I just said okay great I'm on the fence, but yeah, fuck it. I'm doing it. I'm all in. And then when I'm all in, I'm all in. So then um, I Skyped with the directors and I gave them all my notes and blah, blah, blah. I wanted the character to be a little bit more developed and give her, you know, anyway, all the, all the behind the scenes stuff. Um, and it was such a, it was a much needed experience. I had the most fun on that film. Every single person on the crew, cast, producers, searchlight, everyone was amazing. And after this like crappy job that I'd just done, it was a breath of fresh air and a, again, like a reignition of why I love my job and being taken seriously and heard and listened to and playing like a woman who was fearless and vulnerable at the same time. It was, it was just so much fun, even though it was snowing and I was wearing nothing. It was amazing. It was, 
much needed. How many days was that shoot? Like how long? Because it's a there's a lot of set pieces. There's a lot of very gore. short. Yeah, very short. We did it in about. I think we had like less than thirty shooting days. Wow, wow! I was gonna guess like forty-five or something, but no. Uh, Holy shit! Yeah. Um, you can fact check me on that because I could be wrong because. Seize your brain memory. It's pretty bad. I don't um, need to fact check. But how yeah, many shooting I think days it was. was. <laughs> I think it was like. I think it was like twenty eight. That's total. incredible. That's remarkable. I, what was the favorite day on set? Did you have like one scene, one moment that you were like, "This, this is, this is the apex." <laughs> there were so many, but there were because I because oh, it was in Toronto, and um, there was only one scene where the entire cast was in the same room. And that day was the most fun. Not necessarily the scene. I mean, the scene is hysterical. And if you watch the bloopers, you can see why. Um, is it the scene where but, they're all drinking the thing and you're on the table? Is that what I'm thinking about? Uh, no, the, end? Um, the very end. It's actually when I'm meeting the family. Ooh, yes. Okay. And Christian Braun made uh, everybody laugh so much. He is such a... Oh God, he's a talented comedian and a very good serious actor as well. But um, it was just the, you know, like I think that day all the ADs and the directors were trying very hard to keep us in line and they needed to get a lot of shots done in one day and we were just having the most fun. We didn't stop laughing. We were just cracking up and playing games and that was one of the best days. That sounds um, great. There was not- another... Oh, I'll stop. No, no, please, please, please. Um, I was just going to say there was one other day that I just that stands out for me, and um, Mark O'Brien and I. <laughs> um, am I saying his name? Yeah, oh my God. For a second, yeah. I was like, please say I'm saying Mark. I love Mark so much. I'm telling you, this brain of mine. It's not my fault. It's the seizure's fault. Um. <laughs> But there was a scene, it was 4 a.m. And I had been working all day, but Mark had just, you know, he'd had dinner and a couple glasses of wine and had a nap. And then he came to set and it was probably like 2 a.m. And we had to do this one dream sequence where I sort of wake up and, I, and I'm like, oh my God, I think I'm like free. And he looks at me and he's like, yeah, I've got you. And then suddenly he's got this like horrible mask on and he's like, says a really horrible mean thing. And... For some reason, we could not stop laughing. It was a mixture of just total exhaustion and the fact that the props he was wearing, which look fantastic on camera, but because I was like one inch from his face, I could see the mask he was wearing kind of slipping and like <laughs> irritating his eye. And like, like one droopy eye. Quivering. <laughs> and I also had to do that that classic sort of you see it in a lot of films where like an actor is facing away from the camera and they slowly turn towards the other character and then it's a big reveal that they've changed and because I knew he was laughing so much on the inside and we could not stop laughing I had to do that slow reveal and it it felt like a lifetime just turning (laughs) my head and keeping a straight face it took so long and it should have been a two minute shot it should have been a 20 day shoot and instead (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) um i wanted to ask you there's that moment in the movie when you're when she realizes 
what the fuck is going on? Right. When you, when you mm-hmm. see what's your name get shot and yeah. you're, you're, um, on the couch. I would feel a lot of pressure in that moment. The moment of realization, the moment going from my character is totally naive to my character understands it. Um, I feel like th- that might just be me, but there'd be this, um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I know too much already, you know, that like, I, I know I, it's hard to play that discovery. Do you remember that moment? Was that challenging for you? Or do you feel like you're able to kind of just lose yourself in that and feel the discovery authentically each time? Um, I, I believe that was, that was the first week of shooting. There, there obviously, there was a lot of pressure, but again, I had done the prep work because I knew that there were going to be so many beats like that, like reveal, 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 reveal. And each reaction, my character Grace had to, it, it had to change her. She had to have some kind of arc where, so that first reaction, I wanted it to be shock and, and like I wanted her to be in shock at that moment. Um, so I had prepared it in that sense, but I also had, um, I'd marked next to me. I think we were, we were hiding behind the bed. Right. And then we peek out. Yeah. And, um, they did. Th- and then it was also like it was a camera trick as well, which you forget that you can rely on the, the camera and our beautiful cinematographer, Brett, I can't even pronounce his last name. I'm going to try Jeskowitz. I'm but sure that's Brett, it. I'm sure that's it. But um, they did this amazing push-in, which kind of sells the emotion as well. Um, but of course there was pressure. There was pressure every day, honestly. Um, I am a nervous wreck until they say action, and then I just have to forget all of it and I'm in it or if I'm anxious I'm I'm in a horror film I can use that anxiety yeah Grace That's, is allowed to be anxious great yeah, yeah exactly this is a couple reasons yeah um yeah but I had I had plotted out I believe sorry it was so long ago now but I believe there was shock and then sort of um a disbelief and then slowly into complete terror and panic and then there's a big switch where I wanted her to get fucking angry and rageful and then um and then it was kind of that was her character sort of becoming her whole self almost and then this kind of just human instinct to will to survive. Um, I mean, that's the whole film is just her trying to survive, but yeah, I wanted to play all these different beats very differently. Um, so that it wasn't repetitive. And I also didn't want her to make any dumb decisions. I wanted her to make very logical decisions and I knew that in horror films, you need situations to, you need to put certain characters in a certain situation for the joke to sell or for the horror element to sell. But I was always trying to figure out a way where she was making the most logical, even if it's a mistake, 
what you would do in that situation, what Grace would do in that situation. I feel like watching it a couple times, I don't remember ever that moment of being like, why are you going up the stairs? Right. I feel exactly. like you, you guys do a nice job of avoiding those. I feel like, and that I arc thought, feels really clear. <laughs> I feel like you executed yeah. that like really, really oh, nicely. Thank you. I mean, honestly, the directors, Matt and Tyler were so open and willing. So the, the biggest one was at the end, I really wanted her to laugh. I wanted her to go from total panic to just complete, like I wanted her to almost be free in a sense and just be laughing. And they were very hesitant. They really did not, they were so sweet. They were like, we could, we could try one. Sure. Yeah. Let's, um, yeah, <laughs> not sure, but collaborative. And Here we go. Um, so there was, so most of the takes I did were me in shock again, which is what I was trying to avoid. Like without doing any spoiler, there's like a big sort of twist at the end. And I think everyone assumed that Grace would be in shock that this twist had happened. And I really wanted her to play the complete opposite. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> of, like, of course, of course. And her to come way down. And um, I think there was one take where I laughed and I remember Tyler and Matt called me and they were like, Sam, thank you. Thank you for laughing. We, the m movie doesn't work without it. And that was one of those moments where oh, I was like, beautiful. thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to me. <laughs> um, I swear sometimes I'm right. I'm a lot of the times wrong and they were right. But um, that was, that was a fun, I mean, we were shooting that. That was like the last week of filming as well. So we were all really bonded and yeah, that was, oh, it was such a good time. I love that moment. I, you know, I've been talking with some friends in the pandemic. About, <laughs> in the current Sorry. pandemic. Um, you said it in such a cavalier way. It was beautiful. The, the pandemic. Um, no, but about pandemic, how we have all these movies like Outbreak and Contagion and every single zombie movie is kind of a metaphor for a disease and how in all of them, everyone just accepts it so quickly and everyone's so grim. And the thing I've noticed about coronavirus that's different than the movies is that everyone's sitting around being like, this is so weird. Are you, is it weird? I think it's weird. It's pretty weird outside. No one's quickly going into like, I've got a gun and I'm going to 7-Eleven to get canned food. You know, everyone is still... Just like, so, so there's like a virus outside. That's weird. Well, I think because it's the unseen, right? If it was a virus that made your face blue and your kneecaps fall off or something, I'm oh, sure God. it would be very different. Why my kneecaps? <laughs> Why my kneecaps? I don't know. It's a That just seems like it's not going to fall invisible, off. It's this invisible threat. So it is very unnerving and scary, but also I don't see any immediate there isn't anything visual that I can see that's being affected. Yeah. And usually so on the confusing. news, they'll just air the same visual thing again and again. If it's a fire, you'll see the same shot of, you know, Santa Barbara inflamed. It'll be upsetting, but it, and fire is it. scary. Fire is like, okay, I need to get run away from that. Whereas this like bacteria that you can't see, 
is it? I don't, what, you know? Yeah. It's this. Well, and it's like, are you supposed to wear a mask? Are you not supposed to wear a mask? Does it protect you? Does it protect other people? It's this like kind of if constant. If I buy a moving. mask, does that mean that a nurse can't get one? It's, yeah, it's all exactly. the whole thing. Yeah. No, and apparently you can get in your eyeballs. I don't know if that's true. So it's like what? you're wearing glasses as well. So are you eye. fucking? Well, yeah, because your, well, your eyeballs are, you know, they're an orifice. So makes sense. I, I mean, I guess that's true. I, I don't really, I had a whole list of orifices and I, did, I never included my eyes. So I just feel like I've just totally, I've totally shit the bed. Um, I have a couple more questions and I know I've, I've had a yes, lot of your time. I'm so, so sorry. I'm, I'm no, rambling a lot. Please edit this down. <laughs> I probably won't edit a damn thing, but I have a couple. Um, what say did you get to have in the wardrobe and what was your relationship to it by the end? I'm thinking that dress and those awesome yellow converses. I feel like you've got to, I hope you had some say in that. I hope you got to like, at least, I mean, yeah, that dress was, um, yeah, we had fittings for it, but we knew that it had to be a weapon, a first aid kit, um and practical to run in so it was actually a it was a lace top with a skirt that was removable okay. with a with a silk sort of waistband um that made it have the illusion of the dress okay um hold with me one sec why can't I remember the name of the costume designer who was a bloody genius? Avery. Oh, thank you. That was driving me nuts. Um, so Avery did an amazing job because, um, so I think there was about over 10, less than 20 dresses in on the racks and then doubles for stunts and then doubles for just in case. So there was like a hundred wedding dresses in different stages of disarray um but yeah we had it was in the script honestly like she uses it as a bandage and she has to rip it to become but the yellow chucks came from if i'm i think i'm correct they came from one of the directors matt but they didn't they don't make yellow chuck tailors anymore so they had to buy white ones and dye them they should. Those were dope. Yeah. yeah. And I have a framed glass box of them that they sent me. Amazing. But I wanted the really bloody ones, but Matt wanted them. Ah. And then they sent me just... So I just have a box of yellow chucks with a little bit of dirt on them. <laughs> you can just, you know, get some fake blood and spray them at some point. Uh, <laughs> did you guys shoot in, in order? I mean, like, how do you... How do you keep track of the state of the dresses and stuff? I mean, I feel like establishing the different levels of gore would get very complicated. Yeah. I mean, thank God for continuity. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Um, yeah, I, the first day, oh my goodness, this is, oh my, this was a traumatic day. Um, so I had just met Andy McDowell, who's a, bloody legend and so funny and so sweet and we hang out all the time and we text her. she is just the loveliest human being She's but of course at the time i never met her i don't know i thought oh my god meeting annie mcdowell like ah! yeah um and we had rehearsals for a stunt we had to do and it included me holding a fake brick um and hitting her over the face that's day um, one 
That's day one. Welcome so, to work. <laughs> so during the rehearsal, we have this fake brick and she's lying on the ground and I'm straddling Andy McDowell and I've got this fake brick and this one corner of the fake brick that has like a little bit of hard rubber on it. And there was a miscalculation and it hit her temple and she, it, I, I hit Annie McDowell in the head with a brick. On your first day of work, you straddled screen legend Andy McDowell and you hit her in the face with a brick. Yeah. And she came back to work the next day. We were uncertain that she would, but she was, she was amazing. She was like, I just need some ice. Don't even worry about it. Let's go again. And it was, I was. That's some of that Southern grit right there. Oh my goodness. The stories she can tell. If you ever get a drink with Annie McDowell, please ask her the filthiest questions you can because she will answer them. <laughs> she is incredible. What, what's her drink of choice? If you're going to have a drink with Annie McDowell, what are, I feel like you, I, I feel like if I want to ask her this question, I got to buy her a drink. So she'll like, she's, she's, she's good. She'll like drink what you're having. Like she's like, y'all having beers. I'm having a beer. You know, um, if you're like having I just a picture of having like a really like, good whiskey. Oh, she, I think she'd do that. She might be like, mm, that's a little too strong. But knowing Andy, she'd probably be like, can I have a sip? Um, <laughs> Love it. My Andy McDowell impersonation is not very good. Um, she's just gorgeous. But yeah, that, that was, so the first day was essentially one of the last shots of the film. Holy so shit. So we did not shoot in order at all. Yeah, I can imagine that being a traumatic day for you. Um, you <laughs> to, can you just tell me a little bit about the actress who plays Aunt Hel- Helene? Because oh she goodness. rocked my world in that movie. My God, that is an intense human being. And I just want to know one thing about her. <laughs> Nikki Guad... I can't say it. Guadagini? Guad- sure. The Nikki, my goodness. I mean, the casting, they did so well in having a beautiful um, marriage of both very uh, grounded performances and character actors at the same time. Because it was uh, Melanie Scrifano and um, who else was... Like even Henry Cerny was a little bit of a character actor in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Nikki, especially on Helene. I mean, just she didn't have to do anything and it was hysterical and terrifying at the same time. And she is the sweetest, sweetest woman. She would um, have dance parties every lunchtime. What? Yeah, we would turn on some tunes and we'd have a little boogie. Does she have like a dance style? Is the- she... I think she's improvisate improvisational, but I know that um, my friend Hank, who played um, one of the maids, she um, they they the, the two of them go to dance classes now, which is beautiful in Canada. Um, I asked like you literally me, everyone from that cast stays in touch. It's so much fun. I asked you to tell me one great thing about her, and boy, did you deliver! Dance parties, <laughs> improvisational dance parties with Anne Helene was not what I was expecting, and that's just phenomenal. Um, okay, yeah. I have two last questions for you, and then I will let you go. Um, I have to ask you about the moment where you have a hole in your hand and there's a nail. 
um, that mm-hmm. that I have trouble watching that part. And um, how was it to shoot something that horrific? Ooh. That nail's got to, I mean, all that's got to be CGI, right? So you're. Yes, there was no nail. Um, so I just had a ha- my hand on the. Like the leg. Basically, they, 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 um, they cheated it. Yes. So it was a cheat. So they cheated the well. So it was basically me just on my knees and a ledge. And I just had to pretend that a nail was coming through my hand. Um, and then, yeah, so the gunshot was a little easier because there was an actual gun pointing at me and I had done sort of, I had a little bit of history with getting shot by fake guns in other films um, and reacting to that. And I knew that it was a comical moment. So the reaction, you know, you always play comedy as realistic as possible, but I knew that it didn't have to traumatize the audience. Whereas yeah, the hand, coming out of the nail had to just be excruciating but I don't know I think it was a combination of it was the last week of filming and it was not it must have been 3 a.m it was snowing outside I was cold I was hungry um my motivation was just to like go back to my hotel and (laughs) there was probably a lot of just like pent up like let's get this shot done hey that could be a really powerful tool that can get shit that can move mountains <laughs> um because you know with with films like this you can't really draw off real life at all you know it's like oh yeah i remember that time that um a little boy shot me in the hand and then i fell down a well and then there was a skeleton and oh my god of course it's the exact same feeling i had yeah duh. um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That one was the. Did you have to like create your guttural scream, or do you already have that? I mean, did you have to find where that particular? I mean, that felt like the most guttural cry of the entire thing. And are you (laughs) are you finding where that lives in you, or are you just letting it fucking rip? Um, I remember uh, on my first on Ashworth Evil Dead, um, there was a scene where I had to scream, and the crew had a very um, su- surprised and shocking look, and I guess I I didn't realize that I could that I had a, a I guess a talent for screaming. Uh. Um, but I I never wanted I kind of you always associate the word screaming with women, and they always say yell when it's a man. That's interesting. So I kind of wanted it to be this like very guttural, just human noise like a roar i didn't want it to yeah i wanted it to be almost animalistic i never it, if it said scream in the script i would cross it out and i would just whatever like it was just pain it's just pain and determination and survival so you hear it it's got that guttural kind whatever of that, raw ripping core you know it's not just right. high and up there it there's there's a diaphragm working this too <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, don't, I I really wanted to try and edit down the screams and have the most authentic reaction. And also, I think um, 
there was a bunch of other points in the film before that where it had said or had been suggested that I scream and I said, you know what, let's just like hold on and think of a different reaction because there's that and then there's one at the end where I jump off a table with a knife and I'm just sort of like a wild animal. I don't even know what happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the hand of the nail, that was just like a lot of imagination and a lot of, um, uh, make the day being tired and overworked make the day. Yeah. Hey, what I, we said earlier, whatever the fuck works, right? My motivation um, was eating spaghetti. <laughs> that I identify with. Um, <laughs> I have one last question for you. I'm going to leave ready or not for a minute. And this is something I've asked mm. a handful of people who I've, I've gotten the pleasure to interview, which is, do you have any bad audition story that you are willing to share? Um, oh, sometimes absolutely. these are the most fun stories. I one time got to tell one about, um, I had to cry. And so I, uh, was nervous. I was going to get there and I was very young and very stupid. And so I chopped up onions and had them in my pocket and tried to like, <gasps> get them like into my eyes and I ended up, it ended up not working and I smelled like onions and I think it was clear what I was doing. Um, so anyway, that's why my career, uh, while I have all the bookings I have is because of that choice. Um, it's that moment. I mean, keep doing it. Whatever you're doing. Keep it's doing nice to have it. a brand, right? Um, but I would love, I would love one. I would love one bad audition story that you don't mind sharing. There's so many. There are so, so many. I remember one, I can't remember what it was for. I remember one where I left and I knew I bombed. I was just like, <laughs> like I didn't know my lines. I wasn't prepared. I hadn't read the script. I did everything completely wrong. I went in there and I just like fumbled my way through it and the look on everyone's faces. But I was almost like, I walked in defeated. Yeah. You were like, I, I'm not and ready I, for and this. And I left and I was like, this is not going to go well. Um, oh my, oh my, oh, oh, I have a great. <laughs> oh, please. Whatever this story is. Great. This is the one I want. <laughs> this is it. Okay. So, um, I had an audition for 50 shades of gray and I was in LA. Got a call back. I was in Australia at my coast house with my parents and they said, that's fine. Just put it on tape. I was like, okay, cool. Um, the scene was two girlfriends talking about having sex with a guy and a very intimate details about it. And I had two readers to choose from mom or dad. Yes. Yes. Phenomenal. So I go with mum first because we've had, you know, sex chats growing up, puberty stuff. I go with mum first, set the camera up, and um, she starts reading and she just starts studying my face and keeps looking at it and she starts commenting. Why? She keeps, she's not reading it. She's just watching my face going, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing that with your mouth? Why are you doing that? Stop doing that. What? Why are you? And she just was so irritating. She couldn't, she, I was like, just read the lines. I'll, I'll like, thank you for your notes. Um, I'll work on that. I'll take them into consideration. Um, this is a callback. There's a lot of pressure on this. 
the Wi-Fi is barely working. We're in the middle of nowhere. Um, please, could you just read it? She couldn't do it. She just kept commenting on my facial expressions and how they were just different from my normal facial expressions, which I tried to explain was on was a choice. And she, <laughs> she didn't get it. Like, Mom, will you stop but directing then, me and just talk dirty right. with me in the script, please? Like, literally, just like, don't even have to look at me, Mom. Just like, read the lines however. Like, it's fine. I'll just look at a marker. It's all good. So that didn't work. So I, oh, God. This is where it gets very embarrassing. Walk up to Dad. Hey, Dad. Um, so could you, do you mind reading this <clears throat> scene? about sex with me and you pretend to be a 20 year old woman. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you, you can just read it like a robot and, um, I'll, I'll just, I'm just going to look at this mark on the wall and, and, and you, you can, you're just, you can just be a voice dad, like just be a voice and I'm just going to react off the wall. No problem. Dad takes it and fully gets into character. Yes. And it's like, so tell me, how is the below job <laughs> coming from my father? <laughs> yes. I've never met the man, but I'd love to shake his hand right now. Good committing. Like, so how was it? Was it great? <laughs> but did he, did he try anything? Why are you so nervous? I could, it was the most traumatic experience. Should he have booked the role, the, the other role? He should, have, he should have booked the lead. He should yeah. have booked the lead role. Yeah. Imagine what could have um, been. I'll ask to say, didn't get the role. <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't work out? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, thank you for sharing that. That is an amazing uh, place for us to end the podcast. So thank you, Samara, <laughs> for coming on the show and for chatting. No I really problem. appreciate it. This was super fun. And I uh, hope I was somewhat useful. You were beyond somewhat useful. We'd upgrade it to pretty useful, you know? I mean, <laughs> at least. And if you want to check out a cool show during this time, um, Hollywood's coming out on May 1st. That's the next show. thing, right? I wanted to end with yeah. that, which is um, what do you have coming up? So you have Ryan Murphy's Hollywood coming out on Netflix on May 1st, ne right? Can you Netflix tell us just May a little 1st. bit? Of, yeah. Can you tell us just a little bit about what, what the show is? What a terrible plug I just did. I just snuck in a plug in the Amsterdam. Oh. But that's you doing your I've job. I've become that person. Oh, as you yeah. should. Your job is to promote. It, they, they make these it's things the for people to watch part, them. Though. It's the worst part. You feel like it's, you're selling yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, the show's great, right? It's fun. It's, it looks beautiful. It's cool. It's, you know, it's Ryan Murphy. So what's the, what's the show about and who, are you, who do you play in it? Um, I play Claire Wood, who is a... Um, an actress or trying to be an actress. Um, Ryan Murphy puts it really well. He calls it faction where it's, it's set in the 1940s in Hollywood. Um, it's about lots of starlets and um, stars and um, it deals a lot with social politics, gender roles, racial um, roles and uh, everything that's going on in the 1940s. And it's very eerily similar to what's happening right now. And it's basically what if, what if the changes that are happening in Hollywood now happened back then, Ooh. what would the world look like? So this whole faction idea. So oh. it's, 
fiction and fact. Sort of underdogs. Yeah. I love it. The underdogs. And and it's also just honoring these people that we often forget about who paved the way for women to play roles that aren't wives and mothers and for, you know, black people not playing maids and slaves, you know, it's, and for men to feel comfortable being homosexual if they are, which is still a huge issue when, you know, women being gay and, you know, the whole LGBTQ community, um, you know, it started with some very brave people back in the 1940s. And uh, I think Ryan said it's a love letter to Hollywood. That's gorgeous. I like um, that. But it's juicy and it's raunchy and it's funny and it's Hollywood, baby. It's, it's Hollywood, it's baby. It sounds, like, <laughs> it sounds like very Ryan Murphy going back in time. I, absolutely. I, I can't wait to mm-hmm. check it out. So please, everybody, May yeah. 1st on Netflix. Um, Hopefully quarantine's over by then, but regardless, check it out. Netflix can show us some <laughs> Hollywood. Um, Samara, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really thank appreciate you. It. Thank you so much. And I miss you and I hope I, we can do this face to face one one right? of these. That days. would be that would be the best. Thank you to Sam. Thank you to presenting sponsor John Rosenfeld Studios. And thank you for listening. Uh, Please check out Ready or Not, streaming on Amazon and Apple. And check out Hollywood on Netflix, premiering May 1st. Also, please consider donating to the World Health Kitchen, feeding hospital workers on the front lines of this pandemic. And lastly, uh, don't be a stranger. Community is so important right now. So uh, hit up the show on social media. Uh, If you get the chance, follow and share the show. Consider giving us an iTunes review if you have a moment. And send any questions or feedback to the show at industrytownpodcast at gmail.com. It's always really fun hearing what people uh, have to say about the show. Anyway, stay safe, stay healthy. And from myself, JRS, and Industry Town, sending you all a lot of love. Uh, We'll see you next week with another episode. Until then.